It's time to lead the people. The show for aspiring leaders at every level. If you want to boost your self-confidence, get noticed, and maximize your impact by leading others, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Matt Pepsel. Ready to lead? Follow me. My very special guest is a military chaplain and a relationship coach with two decades of experience. He's passionate about assisting people and organizations in their pursuit of purpose and meaning. He's the founder of Reset Coaching, where he fuses experiences in the wild with the immunity to change process to facilitate personal and organizational development. He is Brandon Harding. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thank you, Matt. I'm really excited to talk to you today. We were introduced by a mutual friend and I just can't wait to get to know a little bit more about you and the work that you do. So maybe just to get us started, how did you first get involved in the field of uh, leadership development and, and retreat work? Uh, it started actually almost two decades ago. Um, after uh, my first tour in the military with the Seabees, I deployed to Iraq. And then after that, I got assigned to a place called Credo, which um, in the military, that's a, an organization that leads and develops retreat-based programming. And that's where I really sort of kind of got exposed to some of the, I, I guess, themes around helping leaders grow, helping leaders develop, was able to begin that process. But I, I don't think it really took off until I spent some time with the infantry and really got to see um, leadership at its finest and sometimes leadership in its, in its not so finest. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, a singular experience, obviously, being in the military compared to everything else. But there are a lot more parallels I've found than it might seem at first blush. What are some of the, the challenges that you would typically see when you're working with leaders that were military leaders? And I think, like you said, it probably cuts across um, both civilian leaders and military leaders. But I think one of the biggest is this idea that a leader cannot um, express any kind of vulnerability, um, especially within the Marine Corps. Um, there's this culture around just um, you can't be vulnerable. You can't express any kind of weakness. And that infuses kind of up and down the chain of command. The irony is, is that the best leaders that I've experienced um, go against that. They do have vulnerability. You know, Marine colonels who are willing, you know, to kind of go down that path or a sergeant, you know, you know, it, it's all levels of the chain of command. The best leaders are those that kind of go against that, that mantra that um, you can't be weak. You, you, there's no vulnerability. Yeah, I think that was something that in my Marine service I had to unlearn was uh, I found later on in my civilian career that that was actually holding me back. It wasn't allowing me to establish genuine human connection with the people that I worked with and, and for and who worked for me. And I, I believe it's probably true because I did have some Marine leaders also who demonstrated that vulnerability. They probably went through that similar unlearning process. But when you're a, a, a low ranking enlisted person, vulnerability is not seen as a strength at that initial starting point. So you have to kind of figure out that when it is okay, uh, but it is, uh, I agree with you 100%, it's a prerequisite for proper leadership. Yeah, it's, uh, so we started, we developed this retreat and we stopped calling them retreats because I, I think retreats gave people the idea that we were just going to go sit around a campfire and hold hands and sing songs together. And what they found out was this was actually really physically demanding. And so calling it a retreat wasn't really kind of the right, um, setting them up for the right framework. So we had a leadership development version of what we were doing. And, and one of the questions, the focus question is, what's the one thing that you need to change about yourself as a leader? And it was interesting at the end of this workshop, 
most of the most of the responses, and these were all corporals and sergeants, most of their responses had to do with um, learning that leadership, being vulnerable was okay. And that was the takeaway they were going to take back to their command was, you know what, to be the most effective leader, I've got to be human. I can't just be this automaton robot that's harsh and, you know, demanding. I, I have to be a human to be really effective. And so that was really powerful to see that happen. Yeah, people definitely want to be led by people. And, and what we found is that during the pandemic, especially when people are not at their best, as a leader, if you were feeling strong, that was great. But if you weren't, that was okay too. And you should talk about that and say, hey, I need to take a day. Like right now, I'm trying to figure out how to get my kids on Zoom school, you know, and, and making yourself vulnerable and, and being willing to share kind of what you're going through really uh, sort of humanizes the leadership process. And I think it's important. Oh, definitely. So one of the things and kind of talking about the pandemic kind of made me think of it. Uh, that you work on a lot is around personal resiliency, which I love that phrase, personal resiliency. But in your, you know, how would you describe that? What is personal resiliency and, and why as leaders do we need it? Um, so I've thought a lot about this, you know, the, the concept of resiliency, because it does kind of seem to be a buzzword out there in the culture and, you know, hey, hey, you need to be resilient. Um, and so for me, I think that's the ability to bounce back in a healthy way from challenges. We all have challenges. So if I have resiliency, you know, I can have setbacks at work, I can have personal setbacks, but if I'm resilient, I'm able to kind of stay calm in the moment. Like, you know, if, if I have something that's overwhelming me, I don't then lash out and treat coworkers, colleagues, spouses, you know, intimate partners um, harshly. You know, if I'm resilient emotionally, I'm able to kind of weather that storm and still present myself, you know, in a, in a, clear and kind human way um, rather than being overwhelmed by those stresses and then you know react in a, in a negative manner. It's funny that the, in the Marines we teach leadership traits and we talk about endurance because you know the, it's a very demanding environment obviously and and uh, you have to have that long-term capacity to endure but at the same time at some point you're going to come up short you're going to be depleted you're going to skin your knees you're going to have a tough time. And I think that I love that bounce back. It's like, it's not a question of if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. The question is, how do you respond? And, and in your response there too, Brandon, you were just talking about being very human in your response. It's, it's a very strong theme. Yeah. I think for me, that's um, been over the last probably four or five years, especially like really helping leaders acknowledge their humanness. Um, and, and the humanness of their of, of the people that they lead, like realizing that uh, you're leading people, you're not leading objects. Um, and, and making that transition sometimes for some leaders is really hard. You know, they go from, especially some leaders have come from maybe a background in engineering where it's very, you know, you know kind of a mathematical engineering type model. And I saw this really starkly um, on an aircraft carrier where I heard they have the what's called the 1MC. So it's this microphone system that goes throughout the ship and they'll announce things that the whole ship needs to hear about. And they announced that there'd been a casualty and they, it's called a casualty report or a CASREP. And so I went down to medical thinking that a sailor had been hurt on the ship and I was waiting there for a minute and you know nobody came. And eventually I asked one of the Navy corpsmen, I'm like, hey, you know, they announced this casualty report. I came here, but no one no one showed up. 
And the corpsman said, oh, well, they're not talking about a person. They're talking about the ship. Like the ship had a casualty. There's something broken on the ship. And I was like, oh, wow. And so that was kind of the mindset is the ship is who we take care of. The people are just the, you know, they're the, they're the objects that make the ship go. And that's not to say that all leaders in the military treat people like that, but there is that kind of culture sometimes that develops. And so helping leaders see people as people rather than an object to accomplish a mission, um, I think is, has been a challenge over the years with some elements of the military. I think there was a time when that was the best way to get control. You know, the Marines and, and all military branches are command and control by design. But over time, the nature of, of battle changed and we needed to push decision making down. And I, I saw a lot of changes even when I was in, in terms of how we conduct how we conduct war. In the business world, it, something similar is absolutely happening. You know, the, the monolithic organizations of the past and the command and control and you know, think about classic IBM and, and Xerox back in the day. And now you see very nimble startups. You see very uh, much the entrance of millennials and Gen Z into the workforce. And you're seeing a lot more demand for, uh, for access, for transparency, for trust, for empathy. And I think it's very, very encouraging. We cannot do business the way that we did in the past. And, and, and it's a positive change. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I think the irony is that, that some leaders fear that, oh, well, if I give up the style of leadership, um, I'm not going to meet the mission, whether that's the mission is, you know, to, to go in and, you know, take down a, a city, you know, an Al Qaeda target, or, you know, it's to increase your profit margin or whatever it is in the business world. But I think what the research is actually showing is that your mission effectiveness, your bottom line actually goes up when you, you know, when you operate, um, treating people as people rather than objects. It, it really does. And that's, you know, why this whole podcast title of mine, Lead the People, is because I learned the hard way that when I was managing the business and the technical aspects, doing what I thought I was taught in the Marines, you know, where everything was very much about mission accomplishment, troop welfare in that order. And, and there's a reason that that construct exists in the military. But in the civilian world in particular, I had it back. I, I had it backwards or at least out of balance. And sure. so when I say lead the people, it's like that's that's what your opportunity is as a leader. And the business results, you're, of course, accountable for, and you need to produce those results, but you do it as a collective with and through people. So we, we, we can't forget that. Yeah, I, I think that's important, too. Um, when you shift away from outcome-focused leadership versus um, that people-centric leadership, the outcomes happen. I mean, the outcomes just sort of naturally come along because um, yeah. people will, will perform their best for you because they know that you're interested in developing them rather than just you're fixed on a, you know, the outcome, whatever that might be, whether it's a, a military mission or, you know, a, a target number you're trying to meet in your production or sales or something like that. Yeah, you can have your cake and eat it too. And it's actually, it's much more rewarding too than, than just taking that technical and almost a sterile approach to the business. So you might have been able to get away with it in the past, but, but certainly not now. But in, in shifting gears, you know, I think we talked a little bit in the beginning about the retreat setting and, and don't call it a retreat because it is actually a lot of hard work. But when you think about that environment, what are some of the key characteristics you'd say about that setting and taking people sort of out of the day to day to experience personal growth and development? What are some of the characteristics of that that environment that, that makes it work for you so well? 
I think um, to start with, um, we do not allow anyone to take a cell phone. No, there is no digital device allowed out there. And it, it was kind of funny. Um, I've had some fairly senior Marines come on these things, you know, sergeant majors, master gunnery sergeants, lieutenant colonels, and uh, they all understand the value of leaving that phone behind. And it's been funny to see, you know, somebody else say, oh, well, I have to take my phone. You know, I got this level of responsibility. I'm like, no, you, you cannot take your phone. Um, so that's, that's the first step is once they start, they are not allowed to be, you know, have that digital distraction. And I think as we observe, you know, the people around us, we'll see that like, hey, there's five minutes in between something going on in my life. Well, what's my natural, you know, that habit? Oh, I pull my phone out of my pocket and I look at it and that distracts me from engaging with other people. Well, you don't have that at all. There is no digital distraction. So there aren't the, the typical things that happen. And then we purposefully, you know, we make it hard. Um, you know, it's not like going through o officer candidate school or, you know, going, you know, to boot camp. It's not like that level of hard, but it is hard enough that it adds some stress to people. Um, and, th and then I think the next piece is that we're very intentional about the kind of culture that we're creating. So we, we do a lot of things um, in circles. We use the circle as, you know, kind of a metaphor, but um, so we share meals, we share hardship, there's no digital distractions and just being in nature without any other responsibilities out there really, it just creates an environment where people can really connect. And I think that's the biggest thing, the end result, the outcome, if you will, is a, is a deep sense of connection. You know, when people leave this experience, these expeditions, there is just a deeper level of sense of connectedness with themselves and with the people around them that, that goes with them. It's not just like a transitory thing that just is there while they're out on that retreat, but they seem to carry it with them. Um, they're reminded of their humanness, if you will. Hmm. It's amazing when you, you think about how, to your point, how instinctual it is to say, oh, I got to break into action. Let me reach for the phone so I can create more action in my brain. Right. Uh, and how we're reverting to this very primal sense of like sitting around the fire and sharing stories and creating connection. And yeah. it's very it's very ancient, like in a way, but it's very distinctly human. And you have to get out of those environments that we find ourselves in every day where there's just so many distractions and buzz and everything all the time it feels jarring. I remember like I'm an amateur alpinist and when you climb higher than the cell signals and you're like, holy cow, we are out here. And you're like, yeah. 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 And the quiet is almost like so deafening when you're just like, oh, that's right. That's what stars are supposed to look like. And that's what yeah. quiet is supposed to sound like. It's, it's, it's nice to reconnect that way. Yeah, it is amazing. We've done some, uh, some night hiking where we'll go up on top of this mountain in Western North Carolina called Table Rock. And when you're up on top of there and, and the sky is clear, which, you know, doesn't always happen, but you can see so far. I mean, you can just see, you know, up into the heavens and you're right. That sense of quiet without the chatter of, you know, the digital distraction, you know, just the responsibilities that you might be having back at home or work, those don't exist out there. And you're not, you don't have the digital device to remind you of those responsibilities. You're sort of free. Um, and it, it's just amazing to see what what happens in the woods with folks for a week. 
I love that you pair it also with that, that level of a certain amount of physical strain and and some some duress, you know, because I, I have a saying where I, I say that people are so comfortable that we're miserable right now. Yeah. And, and it's like it's like it's not OK to ever be hungry or to be tired. Or, and when you when you subject yourself to something that is hard work, it really kind of takes your mind to a different place and, and you really appreciate yeah. the achievement long after the pain is gone and the, the sweat has dried and everything. You're just like that's the most memorable thing is when you had to work for something. So I feel like you've got a really nice cocktail of of uh, key ingredients going on there. Yeah, I would say that definitely that's true. Um, you know, we've had some folks that have come out there and we've, you know, tried to kind of like preface it, like kind of the challenges that were there. And um, I remember we, we do a couple's version of this where we take married couples out and one of the spouses was just like, wow, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and she was really concerned about some of the hiking that we were doing and then later the rock climbing that we were doing because it wasn't just you know like at a climbing gym we were going up you know like real cliffs and after that was over that weekend just the sense of accomplishment that she felt for having done the hikes that we did having climbed up these you know cliffs and then um too like um, backing off, like rappelling over the ledge. There's just something really disconcerting for most people when you're leaning back and you got to trust that rope that it's going to hold you. It, it's, a, it's a great disruption and it, it really sets people up nicely to have some, some good conversations because those activities, especially the rock climbing and rappelling, um, really kind of disrupt people's you know, thought patterns in a way that um, some other physical activities don't, but that seems to be, I think, one of the keys of what we do out there is that the rock climbing and repelling. Yeah, you get your heart pounding. It really focuses the mind. I like that. Yeah. Well, I think if we if we turn our attention a little bit to something uh, related, which is around team building, you know, I find and have found over the course of my career that team building is essential, really, to team performance. But a lot of times, it gets overlooked. So I didn't know if you can maybe share with us some examples of either team building techniques you've used in your programs or any sort of team building outcomes that, you know, everyday leaders that don't have access to rappelling ropes, you know, could uh, potentially take advantage of. So I, I think for me, what's helped, what I've seen help those teams um, is for the people that are in the sort of power positions, you know, the leaders, whether they're um, Marine Corps leaders or Navy leaders or, or civilian leaders to, to step back for a minute and just listen. I think a leader that is willing to not always have to interject and kind of take command or control of the space, but just to sit back and deeply listen, it sends a signal to the other members on the team that they're, what they have to contribute is valuable. What they have to share is meaningful. And that opens up a space where some really great things can happen. So I think, you know, as a leader, like learning how to really listen and not, you know, just close your mouth and just listen, really listen. Um, I think that's probably the first and maybe even the most important step. I think I love that a lot. I, I feel like team building, in my experience in the civilian world, when there's some sort of an objective, there's friendly competition among teams that are randomly assigned, all those things are great. But when you actually say the natural, like if there's somebody who has to be the team representative, 
but don't make it the most senior person. Like that's so great to be able to share the leadership during that team setting and, uh, and give somebody else the chance to lead and don't feel like you have to be, like you said, hold that space. That's, that's a, uh, it's powerful to see some people who are relatively, you know, junior people, but who step into a leadership capacity in the right environment. It's great to see for them. It's a great experience. And it shows almost a form of servant leadership to say, Hey, I know I'm the, I'm the CEO, but I'm on the team. I'm a team member. Like, what do you, what can I do to help? And you're just like, yeah. Oh wow. I'm going to tell the CEO what to do. Yeah. In this environment you are. And that works out great. Yeah. I don't know if you ever had this experience when you were in the military, but we used to, for one of our battalions, they um, they would auction off as a fundraiser the ability to be the commander for the day. And so you would um, you would sort of buy the position for a day and you got to be the CO or the first sergeant or whatever for the day. And then the CO or whoever position you bought as the fundraiser, they had to take over your position. So whatever you were doing, they had to go do that. Yeah, we've used the immunity to change model for teams too, um, using that the column one like, hey, you know, as an individual, I want to achieve this thing, um, but then as an organization, you know, what's this thing that we want to achieve? And so, you know, I don't know if you've been through that process, but that immunity to change process um, in a team context is really helpful because. Oftentimes, an organization has a goal that they want to achieve. They have this thing that they want to work on to do better, but they don't realize that there's maybe an underlying assumption that the organization has that's keeping them from achieving it. And so they keep you know, going down that road and they keep not getting there. And so using that um, process with, with leadership, especially um, both in the civilian context and, and, and in the military has been really meaningful and fascinating to watch them as a group of leaders that, that are running an organization realize that they have some collective assumptions that are holding them back and then helping them you know kind of turn turn those assumptions over it's been it's been fascinating to watch that process play out and then to see how that organization then begins to move in a healthier path as a result of identifying what this collective assumption is i love it surfacing getting some awareness trying to figure out how this is affecting us and moving forward yep exactly Powerful stuff well i tell you brandon you've got a lot of experience in the wilderness and uh on this show things get wild so <laughs> i think we have to get wild right now i think uh, yeah i wrote a I wrote a game for you that i call the okay. wild side of leadership all right and wow. uh, for people who are listening so uh you know brandon knows quite well that when you go out into the woods if you're planning on doing that they have a list of something they call the 10 essentials. You got to be sure that you've got your essentials. So what I've done here is I've, I've created leadership equivalents of the 10 essentials. So if you give us okay. one of the things that if you're going to take a trip in the woods for three days, what, what's going to be on that list of, of must have that you need to go out with? And then I'll give a corresponding uh, leadership concept. See how many we can get. Uh, so at the top of that list is going to be some way to have some clean water, filtered water. Clean water. Yep. Yep. And uh, I, I say communication. I feel like that's essential for proper leadership and team functioning to me. Like you got to have water to your point. You got to have communication too. Otherwise you're not leading. Yeah, definitely. Um, so in North Carolina, when you go into the mountains of Western North Carolina, it, it rains a lot. So if you don't have a uh, proper rain gear, you are going to be a miserable cookie. So we always make sure we have um, proper rain gear. Yeah, that's a great one. And I would say camaraderie. So if you don't enjoy the people around, you don't have good working relationships, that's pretty crummy too. 
Yeah. yeah Some of yeah, these are going to be a stretch, Brady. You got to work with me on this. Okay. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, so if we're going to go out for a few days, you're probably, you know, although I'm, I'm a fan of kind of, you know, sometimes throwing in some intermittent fasting. I don't think, you know, when you go camping for three or four days, people want to, you know, fast with you. So you, you're going to need some kind of food, some, some nutrition to put Definitely. into your body. Definitely food. I chose goals for that. I feel like goals, okay. they, they, we pick good goals and they fill us up and uh, they give us direction, all that good stuff. So maybe a stretch, but I went with goals for food. Okay. Yeah. Um, I like fire. Like for me going camping, I need a fire. Like you, like we highlighted earlier, you know, people have been sitting around campfires for thousands of years to share stories, to build community. And so on that note, some kind of fire starting kit, whether that you got a lighter, flint and steel matches, you know, whatever it is, you're, you need, you need a fire. I love it. I love it. And for that one, I put purpose trying to make sure that you've got an understanding of what, why are we here? Why are we doing what we do? Certainly at the individual level, at the team level, you know, that, that warms you up and keeps you going. So. Yeah. And it, it's somewhat related, but especially when you're camping in the, in a, in maybe a colder rainy weather, you need some type of shelter, um, having yeah. a good tent or some type of lean to whatever it is, but a way to get out of the elements. And for that one, I pick culture. I feel like the team and the organization culture that you create really can protect you. We're seeing a real issue right now with a lot of people who are leaving their jobs because the culture is not protecting them from you know, the elements. And, and it can really be a, a, a great protection mechanism if you've been deliberate about creating that culture. Let's see if we can get one more. What do you think? Um, so a few more, but one more maybe that I always make sure I pack is a, is a good sleeping system. I want a nice sleeping bag for, for me. All right, I'm looking at my That's list. what you were looking at. <laughs> I didn't have that one. I, I didn't have that one. I like that. Okay. Um, so another one that I would throw out there is you need, at least we do, we take some kind of hygiene kit or or maybe if, if you don't have that one, a first aid kit. Like, hey, you know what? Um, somebody falls, they scrape up their leg. You need some kind of band-aids or, you know, some kind of gauze maybe to, help folks so i'll go with first aid kit first aid kit's great and uh, for this one it's not gonna be a popular choice but compassion i chose mm. compassion for first aid because things are going to happen when our work as leaders and we're going to have issues and we're going to see those those skin needs like we talked about and to me compassion goes a long way really so yeah that's what i chose for that one definitely very cool well brandon my last question for you to get you out of here on this one which is where can my listeners go to connect with you or learn more about you uh, the easiest way is I have a website, resetcoaching.com, um, just like it sounds, resetcoaching.com. And it um, has a way to get a hold of me, has my email address, and lists kind of the activities that uh, we have coming up that we're going to be doing on there. So that's the easiest way I to find it. me on the, online. All right. Well, I will include a link to that in the episode notes. So listeners, you're only one click away from getting over to Reset Coaching and learning more about Brandon's work. Brandon, I can't thank you enough for being with us today. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Matt. Here are my timeless top three takeaways from today's episode. One, don't fear vulnerability. Just because you're acting in a leadership role doesn't mean that you have to be perfect or impenetrable. Make yourself human in order to connect with your team members in a deep and meaningful way. Two, develop resiliency. Things aren't always going to go your way. What's most important is how you bounce back from work and life's inevitable challenges. Three, Put people before performance. It takes a bit of trust, but your people will perform for you if they know you're developing them. 
If you focus on performance at the expense of people, you'll get neither. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making this investment in your leadership ability, and thanks for sharing this podcast with another aspiring leader who needs to hear it. All right, leaders, until next time, don't just manage the business when you can lead the people. On this show, things get wild. So I think we have to get wild right now.